guys all today. If you would be uh, standing, please, for the reading of scripture. My name is Nick Miner, and we're reading uh, from Luke this morning, and this is what it says. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you can, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wildflowers, how they grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Yeah, hey, uh, my name's Tim, I'm the lead pastor here and uh, it's really good to be with you. Uh, I uh, was, if, if kind of first time back or if you're logging in maybe, I don't know what camera I'm looking at, but uh, it's good to be with you, thanks for either watching with us on Sunday and being a part of this or at some other time. Um, yeah, I was, I was gone for a number of months, and so if you are here last week, I said hi, and, and we got to be together again. If you're back for the first time or whatever, um, I, um, I sent out a, a, a letter this, this week and just shared a verse that God has put on my heart um, throughout the last number of months, and it was a, it's a uh, it's a verse that some of you may be familiar with, others maybe maybe not, but it, it, it's got this phrase in it that um, this prayer for power, but it's power to, to grasp, like to understand and experience God's love. 
uh, and a description, you know, it says, I just love how, how, uh, how wide and how long, how high and how deep is God's love. And that was kind of one of my prayers going into the time away. And, um, and I want to just take a minute just to, just to share briefly um, kind of the, the two really most important things I think God did in me uh, during, during my time away. Uh, and then I want to kind of maybe promise or covenant with you, if I can use that term a little bit, um, to then not talk about sabbatical anymore. Can we do that? Okay. I'm kind of tired of saying the word and hearing the word, and so I just kind of want to, you know, put it, in, you know, out to pasture and be done with it and be grateful for it, and it was wonderful. Here's the two things that God did to me. One of them uh, was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in the category of not fun, um, and then the other one was uh, just, just a blessing, just deeply meaningful and, and so, so good uh, for me and my soul. Both were good for my soul. The first one I would not have chosen and, and probably would not have leaned into it uh, had I not had uh, time away to do a lot of nothing. Um, and that is uh, grieving. Um, I had time to grieve. And I don't know about you, but uh, I don't know very many people that are like, yeah, I think I need to grieve. And so I just can't wait to do that. And you know, this weekend I'm gonna set aside some time just to grieve and wow. You know, I'm really, I just, I would like to avoid that at all costs and with nothing to do. And that's something that just God brought up in me and, and I needed to grieve. And I want to tell you specifically what, um, uh, what I was grieving and avoiding grieving for a number of years. Um, prior to my sabbatical, the previous four years were all sorts of difficulty and challenge. Um, previous to COVID, we had a really challenging year as a church. And then uh, through COVID, if you remember that, global pandemic, uh, that was that was weird and difficult and challenging. Um, I, during that time, uh, lost three really, uh, really significant relationships in my life. Um, the first was perhaps the, the, the weirdest, um, but a friend uh, who uh, helped start this church, was a key founding pastor, uh, began uh, leading and behaving in some ways uh, that were really sinful and wrong and disqualified himself for ministry in our area here. And our friendship ended because of, of his behavior and unwillingness to, to change and reconcile. And that was painful. My mentor, longtime mentor, part of this church, helped start this church named Paul Rhodes, passed away uh, about a year after that uh, in the summer of 2019. Uh, and then shortly after that, uh, my father uh, uh, kind of moved into the next stage of, of dementia, and he is still alive, um, but our relationship is very, very different, and in many ways, um, there's a lot of loss there, and uh, those are things that I don't know if it's a male-female thing. I don't know how females grieve. I know a lot of uh, men that I'm close with just like to put it in their back pocket and move forward and not think about it, and that was working, I thought, fairly well for me, but to stop and to actually sit in that uh, was not fun, but also necessary and helpful, and I'm very glad that God created that space in my life uh, to actually feel those things and go through that and let those go in some ways. I'm not done with that and in the process, but to start that and not ignore that or minimize that is one of the things that God did in me. So that's the not fun one. One of my prayers going into 
this time away was that God would do a new thing in my relationship with him and that I would experience him in some new level of intimacy. Uh, some, some of you may feel like prayer is just your sweet spot, you're in gear and that is easy uh, for you. That's not, that's not true for me. Uh, it is often a discipline, God meets me in it, but it is not, and so that was a request that I had of him in this time away of not being a pastor and carrying those responsibilities. Can we just be together and can I hear from you and experience you in a new way? And, as God has often done in my life, he used a book to start that, and so I read a book uh, called Mansions of the Heart that my mentor, Paul Rhodes, mentioned that I should read about a decade ago, and I put on the shelf and never read it, and took it down and read it and didn't put it down. It took me about a day and a half to get through, um, and it cast a vision for me uh, at this stage in my life for a new level of intimacy, and I began praying in some new ways of just some things that I read in that book and gave me ideas. And one thing, and this might sound really, really weird, um, but I started sitting with the Trinity in a new way and actually picturing talking to the Holy Spirit, talking to God, my Father, and talking to Jesus. Uh, and that might sound really weird and foreign, or maybe I hope it actually sounds like something that you deeply desire and long and, and want, but but God met me in that time and, and clearly answered that prayer of a deeper level of intimacy uh, with him. And so um, I, uh, I look forward to what that looks like now, stepping back into a leadership role and a pastoral role and maintaining that and letting that grow. Uh, but for what it's worth, great book, but the experience of being with the Trinity in a, in a new way um, was one very clear marker that God gave me uh, during the time away. So I wanna share those two things with you difficulty, but also a gift that's very sweet and meaningful and, and needed uh, for me in this stage of life and leadership and, and all that goes along with that. And so um, if that's something you've not experienced, I, I hope and pray that for you. We're glad to talk more about it with you if that's something you think would be helpful, but just really glad that that's, that's what God gave me during my time away. So again, I want to say thank you. If you are here and you're like, I don't know who you are, I don't know what a sabbatical is, don't worry about it. It's not important. It's really important for me, for our church. Thank you, Mosaic. Thank you, uh, pastors and leaders here, the board, all of that. Really, Abby and I both just are really grateful for it. So, and now we're going to start our promise of not saying the word that starts with an S anymore. And we're moved back. Nick just read a portion of scripture, and it's in the book of Luke, and we've been moving our way through Luke. And one of the things that when we study together, and listen together to a book of the Bible and let Jesus set the agenda is that we run into the things that Jesus wants us to talk about that we would maybe like to sidestep. And today is kind of one of those, but I'm so grateful for what we get to talk about today and, and what Jesus has to say about these topics that we need to sit and think about and reflect on. So I'm gonna pray and then invite you to, to open uh, to Luke chapter 12. We're gonna pick up in verse 13 and, and continue on. God, as we say, this is your time. You are here and you've invited us into your space. And so we're grateful to, to sing to you, to listen to you. We want to, to worship you and find out how to do that with our whole being, our hearts, minds, bodies, souls, all of who we are. Because God, you created us, you designed us, you love us. You are the most powerful in all of the universe. You are the most creative. You are the most just. You are good, and so we worship you in this space. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would meet us right where we're at. We come in this morning, we listen with all different places of what our weeks were like and where we're at in our personal lives, and some of us are eager and ready and awake, others of us are half asleep and distracted and hurting and tired, and 
excited about something else. And so, Holy Spirit, we need and ask you to work and move in this time and to do what only you can do. And so bring us to a place where we can hear what it is that we need to hear from you. Jesus, would you teach us, would you guide us as we look at your, your words and your teaching and your wisdom, the goodness that you invite us into in your life and your words, would we capture and, and hold that today? Would it make a difference in our lives and how we see the future and the people around us? And so Jesus, would you teach us now as we look to your word? In your name, amen. So I want to I want to just go over a few numbers with you, uh, kind of statistics. I think they statistics sometimes are helpful, not always helpful. I think one thing they can do is kind of give us a, a picture of reality. And so I want to just share a few statistics uh, with you that you may be familiar with. These you might not surprise you. Uh, the first one's this: uh, four out of every ten millionaires in the world are in what country? Ours. This one the United States. Four out of 10 millionaires in the world right now, 2022, are in our country. That's a lot. 31% of the, the wealth, the, the worth, the, the global worth, net worth of our planet, 31% is in the U.S. 30, 31% of the, the whole world is, is in the U.S. It's like uh, $464 trillion and of that, I think it's like 165 or something is, isn't, that's a lot. Like a lot of, like, so just like three out of every $10 is, is in one country of the whole world. It's, we own it as a nation. Here's another one. Uh, the average American, you can decide, you can opt in or out or above or below that, but the average American, the, right now, the average American is 90 times, has 90 times more wealth and worth financially, material possessions wise, 90 times more than the average human across history. It's like everybody, like for all of history. I don't know how you calculate that. Like if that was somebody's like doctoral project or something, but somehow somebody calculated that. So, so the average, and again, you might place yourself below that or above that, or maybe you're totally comfortable when I'm, I'm, I'm like average. 90 times more wealth than the average human being throughout history, not just now in the world, but throughout history. 90 times more, not twice as much, not 50% more, not 10 times, 90 times more. Now, as I tell you that, what, what, what do we feel? We have a sense of relief, right? Oh, that's so good. I am so wealthy. No? That's not what you feel. So I tell you those statistics, and it, that doesn't put us at, at peace. It doesn't, it doesn't give us a sense of like, oh, good, I can, I can lay off a little bit. I can relax a little bit. No. There is this, there is this peace of our nation, and it's, it's like hardwired into our economic structure and it's, it's necessary, and it's, it's part of it, you, you extract it out, and the whole thing falls apart. Well, there's a, there's a number of different elements, but the element that we're gonna talk about today is greed. We don't get to those statistics without some greed. Greed. Here's a second number of statistics that, that are important that help shape and define reality for us today. And it's actually related to greed. There's some overlap with these two issues, these two problems. First is greed. The second one is the most prevalent mental disorder 
that Americans struggle with today is anxiety. Anxiety. 40 million Americans struggle with some form of diagnosable anxiety. And you're probably saying, like, I, I struggle with anxiety on and off, but I, it's not been di diagnosed, so it's far more than that. 40 million, it's, it's the most, most prevalent. Quick definition of anxiety, it's the body's response to, to worry, to fear. It's the physical response to worry and to fear. It's the most prevalent mental disorder in the U.S. today. And for what it's worth, if we go state by state through our nation, the lowest is 16%. 16% of, of a state is the lowest state. It's, that's Florida. Pack your bags. The highest is, is 22%, 22 and a half. 22.66% of a state. Anybody want to guess what state that is? Oregon. I know, some of you live in Vancouver, and yeah, way to go. <laughs> Oregon, 22.66% of people have some form of diagnosable anxiety. Anxiety and greed, and there is some overlap. They're not the same thing, obviously, but there is some overlap. They're two of the most prevalent realities that we experience, feel, contribute to. In some ways, we even celebrate greed. We don't celebrate anxiety, but we celebrate greed in some ways. And Jesus addresses both. And the reason he addresses both is he says, they both diminish the kind of life that you're designed to have. Greed and anxiety diminish life. And the reason they diminish life is because they are gigantic and significant obstacles for a life of following Jesus. There's a lot of things that get in the way of following Jesus, of knowing him, of believing in him, of trusting him, of receiving from him. Greed and anxiety are two of those. And so Jesus talks about in this long passage that Nick read, chapter 12 of Luke, greed and anxiety. So what we're going to do is we're going to look briefly at greed, briefly at anxiety, and then what Jesus says to, to do about those things in our life. So let's start here. Verse 13. It starts with Jesus uh, answering a guy's request that comes up. So Jesus is hanging out in public. There's a crowd. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, I don't, that might translate as like bro. Bro, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Like, uh, that's not my job. Why are you coming to me? Come, they come to him because he's a rabbi, and that was a common thing as rabbi, help our family, decide this, this give us this decision, and we'll, we'll, we'll do it, we'll implement it. And so he says, hey, will you tell my brother to give me the inheritance? Man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, so then Jesus turns to the crowd. So this guy asked Jesus in front of the crowd, and then Jesus turns to the crowd, and he's ready to say, here's some, here's some advice and wisdom for living. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out, be on your guard against all kind of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Um, Jesus looks and says that the request to solve this inheritance issue uh, is a symptom and I'm gonna sidestep the symptom and I'm gonna look at the disease. There's, there's a disease that creates that kind of a request. And I wanna address the, the, the disease that's underneath. And 
and then he says, watch out for this disease. And he doesn't say watch out like notice it. He says watch out like defend yourself against it. So Jesus is not neutral. Jesus is not trying to find some redeeming value in, in greed. He's not trying to, to peel greed apart and look at it from every angle and go, well, there's a certain side of greed that's good. Because what it does is in a particular economic system, it can fuel that and grow it and, and all boats, boats rise and it's good for all these people. And there's some downsides to it, yeah, yeah, but, but it's good overall. Jesus isn't concerned with that. He just sidesteps that whole thing and says, it's like a disease. I, uh, I watched uh, the, the, the first episode of a new show called Among Us. It's, a, it's after a video game and I saw enough commercials that I was just compelled to watch it. Um, so, so I watched it and it's like a, a you know, version of a zombie. I never played the video game, I don't know about it. Um, if you have a t-shirt and or a sticker from it, like way to go, or if you won the game, I don't know, I don't even know how about the game, okay? But I watched the first episode and it's like a, it's a zombie kind of take off apocalypse into the world, you know, human beings are corrupted by some disease and then they just, they, you know, they kill others and go, you know, that, that whole thing. It's a little bit like World War Z, which I love. World War Z, love that movie, watched it a dozen times at least. Not scary, like it's entertaining. Like, oh, I think I could dodge that zombie that's super fast. This is the first one that, like a zombie one that I'm like, it starts with an interview of a scientist and it goes into the details of the disease that led to this storyline and this, you know, apocalypse kind of thing. I'm like legit fearful of fungus now. That's what leads to it. Some of you know this. Some of you are intimately aware of the storyline in the game and all of that. I'm like, any zombie movie before, I was like, I'm not buying that. That is not, we're never gonna have zombies. That's not a concern. I'm not even, nothing, like that's just entertainment. I'm only one episode in, it's, I'm scared. Like this, that actually made sense. The scientists broke it down. This is how the fungus works and it gets in and if the temperature of the world rises a little bit, then this could actually get into humans, which are over 94 degrees and then they could, comp- you know, and then they could take over and you got a, somebody, you know, biting another person and then go biting another one and they all turn into it. Like the fungus just spreads. Like, like I think that could work. Like, that, that could happen. That has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. Other than... It's a disease that spreads and threatens, and it's insidious, and it gets in and it corrupts, and it's really hard to extricate it and get it out. And so Jesus wants to be really clear. This is the problem. Greed is not good. Greed is bad, and it corrupts us. And the reason it corrupts us is it because it gives us this, this orientation that says, I never have enough. I have to get more and more. And he he goes on and he explains, he tells this parable and he says, it's like a guy who had a field and that was his income and that was his job. And he had a bumper crop and there was so much more that was produced this one year. And so he looked and he says, I've got more, I've harvested more whatever, let's say it was wheat. I've harvested more wheat than ever before. Got more grain, what am I gonna do? Now, our minds start going or maybe it's hard to picture because you're like, I don't even know what wheat looks like or grain when it's harvested, I don't know how it would. But if you just all of a sudden had more and more and more than you ever imagined or expected, what would you do with it? Jesus, and if you're not familiar with Jesus, he's just brilliant. And he just says, look, this story with this guy, what he does is he says, I'm gonna tear down my barns because they're too small and I'm gonna big, build bigger barns and then I'm gonna hold all the grain. And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna stop working and I'm just gonna go live life. And it says this in, uh, I think it's verse uh, 19. And I'll say to myself, 
you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Here's his vision for life. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's a pretty good vision, right? Like that'll sell, right? Like we could market that. We have. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Do what pleases you. Pleasure, highest value. Jesus has a lot to say about that, but not today. He's talking about greed and anxiety today. But that's a vision that sells and that resonates with us. So we read that and we're like, well, that, I kind of like that. So Jesus goes on and says to us, but God said to him, here's the rest of the story, you fool. He doesn't need to go on. He's going to and explain more. But just that enough is that Jesus is speaking for God, telling a story and say, that is actually foolish. I'm going to explain why it's foolish, but that's actually foolish. That vision for life in and of itself, when you get enough that you can do that, that's actually foolish. Don't go down that road. And here's why. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And here's it. Jesus sometimes is mysterious and not clear and asks us to follow him and not know what the next step is. And that is just a part of following Jesus. So I don't know where this is headed. Other times Jesus is explicitly clear and he says, I'm just gonna, be, I'm just gonna save time and I'm just gonna tell you the way it is. And what he says is life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. When you're on that road of if I can get enough that I'll just be satisfied, and that is driven by greed that says, I just need a little bit more and a little bit more to be satisfied. And then I'm going to get to a place where I, I can fulfill my vision for life, which is to take it easy. Jesus says, that's, that's a wrong trajectory. That's a wrong vision. That's a wrong aim for life. And the reason is, is because life is actually more than that. Because that understanding and vision is like a, it's like a lower tier idea. You were made for something more. Life is more than the stuff that we have. Now, we know that. I've read this great uh, article, or informative, maybe great slants it. It's an informative article about a year or two ago about a, uh, um, we all know this, that, that rent rates and lease and, and home uh, property values in the San Francisco Bay Area are just exorbitant. It's like, you know, unbelievable. If you've never lived in California, you've never driven through, like, you're like, how, does, how do you even charge that much? In, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it was a story about a young guy in his mid-20s uh, who had gotten a job in the tech industry and was making ballpark $200,000 a year. That was his salary, $200,000 a year. And he was paying $1,200 a month to live essentially in a bunkhouse. He had a, he had a second level bunk and it was this new kind of living where they had bought like a loft and, and put just tons of beds in there and rented it out just so he had like a bunk and then a closet and then a place to hang his bike and then a community bathroom, $1,200 a month. And you're like, man, that's, that's about Portland, right? Like, th that's, that's what he was living in, $200,000. And then it went through his menu and what he would spend on money. I mean, spend on food in a given day. And it was like, he was on this aggressive plan to reduce how much money he was spending on food and live off as meager amount of spending that he could. And the reason was, is because he had a trajectory to, to retire by the time he was like 34. And so he was working his butt off and spending nothing, 
probably talking to no one and doing everything he could to spend his lease so that he could retire early. That in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. But as I read it, I went, oh, and your vision for life is to do nothing. Now granted, traveling is fun. I like that's, that's like fantasy, awesome, great. That is not in and of itself a bad thing. Working hard, saving well, spending little, but everything he was doing was investing in getting enough so that he could go on and do, take life easy. And again, there's some ways that he could spend his life that could be really good. I don't know him, I did, there's not an updated article yet, I don't know how his life is going. But as I read that, I just went, everything he's doing is orienting to just get enough so that he could do that. Jesus is talking about the, the danger of a, trying to accumulate a lot. And in our culture, and maybe it's a generational thing too, we've, we've also seen the danger of that. Disconnected from Jesus whatsoever. I mean, just as a value as a human, like I think there's more to life than just accumulating a lot. And so it's shifted a little bit, and we disguise it in a different way, and we, we curate the lesser stuff that we have. And that can be a really good thing. But what we can also do is put our focus on acquiring just the best kind of thing in every single category of our life and keeping it limited but having just the best. And that could be a great stewardship of our resources. It also can be, this is what I've said, if I have all these things, then I'm fulfilled. And it still doesn't take the attention and the focus off of possessions, which Jesus says, no matter if you have a lot or a little. Life does not consist in the abundance of the possessions that we have. Their quality, their number, it, that is, there's, life is more than that. And Jesus is not talking to people who have a lot. He's talking to a people who have a little. And so he's not talking to just the, the, the ultimate wealthy person who's accumulated a lot. He's talking about before that's even actualized. It's just the trajectory to get there sets us on a pace. I, uh, I really do not like paying for um, car repairs. I grew up in a home that did not pay for car repairs because my dad could fix everything. And so then when I got, got to, into adulthood, my parents never made very much money and that he enjoyed it, but also kind of necessity. He would just fix everything. So then I get into adulthood and I'm like, cars don't ever break down, right? Like if my car ever has a problem, my dad just shows up in the driveway and fixes it, right? That's gonna happen for the rest of my life. That didn't work out. So I've, you know, had to pay for, and so I, I really, like, uh, I, I've never worked as a mechanic. Um, I don't know what work goes into uh, aligning tires, tire alignment. In, in my estimation, that feels like it should cost like 450, like $4.50. <laughs> it doesn't. It's like way more than that. When I drive down my street, and, the, and I let go of the wheel and it starts to do this, all I, see, all I see is $97. That's just like $97. And so I just go and hold it and go, no, we're fine. We're good, we're gonna keep driving like this. Sometimes when my car drifts like that, it's because my tires are not aligned correctly. So when I have had to pay for that, which is how I know it costs $97, at least the place that we took it, and I know, no, my, my tires are aligned, but yet my car still does that. 
It's not just the car, it's actually the road. It's slanted that way, and I go, oh, okay, that's the road that's slanted, so I have to do some extra work. When Jesus talks about greed, he says sometimes we have internal things that take us away from Jesus and to other things like an abundance or the highest quality of stuff, thinking that's gonna satisfy our soul. Other times, we're watching greed in our own life and we're paying attention to it, we're on guard for it, but we're in a context, we're in a culture that takes us off in that direction and we've gotta hold on to the wheel. And so Jesus actually has some things to say of how do you stay on track? And what he says is to be rich towards God. Put a pause there, we'll come back to that in just a minute. He goes on to say, he turns into his disciples and he says, we're gonna talk about food and clothing and how we worry about that a little bit. And he says, and then Jesus says to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And we find ourselves in this tension of, yeah, I know that, that, that life is more than food and the body is more than clothes but I still need those, those are a necessity. And so I don't even know how to not worry about those things. Because I plan and I budget and I work towards and I think about those things and I care about those things that I'm supposed to care. How do I do that? And Jesus says, well here, here's something, here's some food for thought. Ravens are not significant. Ravens are actually for Jewish culture at the time, they're unclean birds so they were kind of just dismissed, not paid attention to. He says, ravens have three squares a day, like they eat what they need to eat. God provides for ravens which are insignificant in your understanding of how life works. How much more is God gonna care for you? He knows that you need food. He's going to provide for you. And he goes on and he says, think about flowers and think about grass, like, like literal, like grass that grows in your front yard, hopefully. Flowers and grass, and he says, look, look at a field of flowers. A field of flowers in bloom is one of the most amazingly beautiful and majestic scenes that there is on this planet. And he says, look at a field of flowers and look at that and appreciate its beauty. And then look at the, look at the, the leader that you can think of as the most adorned and well-dressed leader. And he points to Solomon. He says, Solomon was wise and God blessed in all these ways and he had these riches and he was the best adorned leader that you have in your history. And you've got maybe paintings of him and images of him and stories of him. And you know instinctively that flowers look even better than that. And that's God's doing. So if flowers and grass that just gets cut and burned and dismissed, that can just go away like that, that don't last very long. If God takes time and attention for those, and we looked last week and saw that, that Jesus is saying, God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And birds and flowers and grass, he's, he's providing for those. He's providing food and clothing for those. He's going to provide that for you. And some of us hear that and we go, yes, he is, and he has, and there's stories. And then others hear that and go, yeah, I don't get that. I still got a plan for that. I still got a budget for that. I still have to think through that. And so Jesus says this, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. We often look at the tangible things right in front of us, of our stuff and our, 
our budget and manage our, what's in our bank account and what's coming in and what we're earning and what we're putting for retirement and what we're not putting for retirement and what we have for savings and what debt we owe and how we're managing our credit. We look at all of those details and those are important and we, we, we should do those things. But what we know is that all of that very quickly has an impact on our, on our heart, that we feel it that it begins to raise up in us a sense of worry and fear, and we feel the anxiety. And Jesus is saying, I have a different life for you. I don't want you to feel that. In fact, I've designed you to trust me in a way that frees you from that. And it's not a one-time thing, and there is not a switch that we can flip that all of a sudden makes sure that our tires never drift again and always stay on, but it is a constant adjustment and correcting. And the reason is, is because it's about our heart. I realized I skipped this, but I want to, I want to point to this. I'm doing it out of order. Sorry, Mac, but God desires to give us the desires of our heart. Psalm 37 verse four, the back half of it says this, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that great? That's a great bumper sticker. Like that that's great. God, the God of the universe gives you the desires of your heart. And again, some of us can say, oh, I can tell you, I can tell you the ones that he's given me. And then a lot of us can say, I'm still waiting. I put it out there. It's pretty obvious. This is my desire in my heart. God, show up. Here's the thing we don't talk about a whole lot. That God does, says he will give us the desires of our heart. The part we don't talk about is that he actually has a plan for what our desires should be. And again, the reason he does is because he knows us, he sees us, he loves us, he designed us, he created us, and so he knows the desires that are best for us. And not, only, not always do our desires match up with what he wants his desires to be. The full verse says this, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God says, I'm actually the best one for you. When you have your eyes on me, when you have your trajectory for me, when, when I am the aim of your life of knowing me and walking with me, gosh, the desires that I give you are so much better. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Later in the New Testament, it says this in, in Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. For some, at some point in their life, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many kinds of griefs. Some of us here right now have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many kinds of griefs. And Jesus says greed and anxiety are things that take us off course from Jesus. And where we find ourselves is wandering from him, which is better than anything else we're gonna find out there. And we experience grief and pain because of it. And not that staying is always feels good and easy, it does not, but, Je but Jesus is saying, God, your Father has created you and designed you for him. And when we trust him and face him, he provides what we need. And he end, Jesus ends with saying this. 
Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus, in talking about things as practical and as tangible and as real as greed and anxiety, says ultimately this is about our heart. And how do we orient our heart towards a new direction? How do we train our heart to pursue Jesus instead of all of the other options that are available? Most of us have track records and habits and patterns that are oriented not to Jesus but to other things. And to replace those, and Jesus is talking about it right here. He says earlier, seek his kingdom. He says, be rich towards God and seek his kingdom. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Jesus is talking about a reorientation. And in order to do that, actually develop new habits. New habits that run over the other ones. If you know anything about how to develop new habits, and maybe you're experiencing some great kind of success or failure in the new year and starting new habits. We don't just start a new habit. We have to redo an existing one and, and go over it and, and to fully weed out an old one. We've got to run over it with a new one that takes time and intention. Three quick things. One is what we do. And, and Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. That's, a, that's an option, okay? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then Jesus says, another place to come follow me. What he's talking about is, is giving and sharing. Those are two new habits of giving and sharing. And he's saying, invest in the kingdom, also heaven. And what Jesus is saying is, I am trying to invite you into a new way of living and a new way of life in the here and now. And when you invest in that, it brings the kingdom into your own life and to those around you. Jesus is not saying, I'm, I've got some kind of, you know, pie in the sky, heavenly bank account that if you just keep putting into, when you die here, you'll show up in heaven and you'll have a huge 401k. And it'll be awesome. That's actually not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, join me in bringing more of my kind of life, more of my kingdom experience, more of heaven into earth. The Lord's prayer says that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about. Help me bring that into the world now. And one of the ways that we do that is we take a portion of our money and we give. A number of us do this here as a part of, of Mosaic. It is not because God needs your money. He doesn't need your money to accomplish his purposes. What it does is it trains our hearts. It's a new habit for our heart to say, I'm going I'm to give a portion of it away. Now, as a church, we're not part of a church family. We're responsible for how we steward that and use that. And we're called collectively to spend that at ways that are going to invest in the kingdom in the here and now. In Portland, and all of the things that we're doing as a church to invest in the kingdom in Portland and reaching high school students and training disciples within our church and sending people out to, to plant other churches and to serve in different ways. And the people in Haiti, I just was talking, our, we have a, a partnership in Haiti that we've had for, gosh, 10, 15 years. And Haiti is an absolute mess right now. And we continue to support the work there because there's this light for the kingdom in this really dark place. The other thing, not just to give, but to share to take our possessions that we do have. Having possessions is in and of itself is not evil. But to take them and say, God, I want to spend this possession. I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now, and we're going to, hopefully we'll, I can handle sharing this with you. Um, this, is a, this feels like a big risk for me. I own a pickup truck. If you own a pickup truck, you know the risk in sharing that information. 
I have a pickup truck. Thank you. It's a whole, you know, kind of man thing for me. It's, it's uh, Adam told a story a couple weeks ago, and um, he didn't name me, but I drove by him out of the plaid pantry. <laughs> and uh, I made fun of his little truck. And uh, I have a, I have a, I don't. I actually have the exact same truck as Adam has, and I asked for permission before I bought it. I liked his so much, so it's a, it's a small, mid-sized truck. I, I like it. I'm still paying for it. I'm trying to take good care of it. One of the ways that God protects me from not going and trying to get more possessions is to say, God, that's not my truck, that's your truck. And as much as I possibly can, whenever anyone asks to use it, I say yes without thinking and give them the keys. Am I afraid it's gonna get scratched? Absolutely. <laughs> Am I afraid that something's gonna happen to it? Or I, I don't, absolutely. But that's a way for me not to hang on to it and to, and to share it. I'm so spoiled that I get to have that truck. But one way of not hanging on to it is to say, yeah, I, I have it. So I'm going to trust you with that information. If you need to move, if you need to cart something from somewhere, like I'll, there you go. I'm going to try to share it as much as I can. The third thing is this, to give, to share, and then to, to recite something. And so I, wanna, I want you to listen to something that we're going to say together in a few moments. It's, our, it's a new reading that we've been doing as a, as a church um, to remind us and to train us in how we give. And what it does is it, it, it shapes our hearts just by reciting this over and over. So I'm gonna read this for you, and then we're gonna come to the table and sing, and then somebody, I think, in the band is gonna lead us through it as a, as a collective, as a church. But it's a, it's a text that trains our hearts and minds repeatedly just by saying it week after week. Father, Son, and Spirit, I am and I have only what you have mercifully given me. Every spiritual and physical provision I have is from you, bought with the blood of Jesus. Like you, I choose to give sacrificially to step into a generous life that costs me. Generosity is the way of those who call Jesus their Lord, who bear his image, who love him with free hearts and who serve him with renewed minds. Listen to these lines. It was all, all that Jesus has given us through his life, death, resurrection, and his ascension. It's his offer of us to forgiveness and grace in him and what he's done for us. I have been bought with a price, and I will not be ruled by the self-focused ways of this world. Give me determination to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with the true riches of you. because you are a generous man. Amen. A month ago or so, we started saying that every time we gather. It's a way to remind us and teach us and frame, not just our minds, but our hearts. To say, God, I want to get on board with you. I want to be focused on bringing more of heaven into this world by the way that I live and handle my stuff before you. We're ready now. We're going to sing and come to these tables. And if you're not familiar with what this is, we come and we say, we taste the good news Jesus again, that he shed his blood for us on the cross some 2,000 years ago. Then that knows exactly what it's like to be human, lived a perfect life and sacrificed himself on the cross. The little crackers represent his body broken. What we do is we taste this. Say, God, you were physically here. You physically want to redeem us and heal us. Give us hope and a future in your life to
invited to be a part of that. So as you're ready, come. Take a, take a cup. Take it back. Take it back to your seat. Take it. Pray with me.